Hello and welcome to the Social Market Foundation PolicyCast with me, James Kirkup. The Social Market Foundation is a think tank based at Westminster, but we don't do party politics. We do policy and evidence. In these podcasts, SMF experts will be unpacking their latest research, shedding some light on the big issues and telling you some things you won't hear from politicians. There, there are potential options, but you really need to start talking about them now and the public will have to become acclimatised. The public aren't going to go for any of these things at the drop of a hat, particularly when they've been told as part of Brexit that this is all under control and is going to reduce. Today, I'm joined by Jonathan Thomas, who's the SMF's migration researcher, and we're going to be talking about the future of immigration policy in Britain. So, Jonathan, what's your report called? It's called Back to the Future, What History Tells Us About the Challenges of Post-Brexit UK Immigration Policy. What's it all about then? What's the, what's the history we're learning from here? Well, I suppose it's back to the future from two aspects. One is that the current proposals of where we go with our post-Brexit immigration policy are bringing in types of policies we've seen before. They're curtailing existing migration flows and they are also bringing in temporary routes. And then the second aspect of Back to the Future is because we've seen them before different times and places in the world, we're looking at to see what lessons could we possibly learn from the potential consequences of going down this route. The sort of things we're talking about in immigration policy here, where, where and when have we seen them before? So in terms of ending free movement or freedom of movement in the EU, you can, of course, look to the uh, early 1960s where we ended freedom of movement within the Commonwealth within our own country. But in terms of some of the things we're going to be trying for temporary migration and the labour migration routes. We saw this quite a lot in uh, mainland Europe in the 60s and 70s with the guest workers, particularly in Germany and the Netherlands. But the, the really the biggest uh, migration experiment that has been carried out in, um, in this area was really the US-Mexico experience, really from the 1940s to, to the present day. A lot of this report, a lot of the conversation here is about that, you know, the US-Mexico border and, and the different aspects to it. One is the question of what happens to people crossing that border, but then there's some questions about the politics of this, how politics evolves after that sort of change in immigration policy. And we, we all know who the most interesting offshoot of, of, of politics there is. But we'll come to him and that later on. So, the Commonwealth, gastarbeiters in Germany, and and the Mexican border, wall or no wall. Oh, that's a good, a good set of history to learn from. Now, you've distilled this down uh, into, I think, four big lessons about things to look for for the British experience uh, of immigration after Brexit, or rather, after the end of free movement, because as we all know, there is no such thing as after Brexit. Brexit will last forever and ever and, until we're all dead, and possibly a little bit after that. So, uh, let's go through the uh, the four lessons from history one by one, shall we? Now, I'm going to cheat here, and I'm going to read from your report. I've got it in front of me. Fine report this do. Lesson number one. Greater immigration restrictions on well-established existing immigration flows can lead to an increased permanent lawful immigration population. Now, you mean we're going to get more immigration after Brexit, after the end of free movement? I mean, that's quite clearly not the case in the short term. The end of EU freedom of movement will clearly restrict people wanting to come from the EU into the UK to work. But what we have seen in the other examples throughout time, particularly in the US-Mexican example, is that when you put restrictions on existing flows, those flows tend to relocate into other routes. And in the UK's case, there are particularly available routes in terms of 
family migration. There's a lot of existing kind of diasporas here and also student migration. We're the second biggest kind of home for students coming throughout the world to study. And what was seen in the Mexican situation was when the labor migration was switched off. What it led to was a dropping off of the circular flows of labor migration to be replaced by more permanent migration. So the flows might have been less, but there was more permanence to what occurred. Now, now that, that term circular migration is really important in sort of, you know, migration studies, I suppose. In, in, in the expert community, people talk about circular migration a lot. What, what it means is that you know, it's, this is people who come here for a bit, do some work, and then go back to their, you know, their, their country of origin for a bit, and basically commuting, shuttling back and forward between the UK and other countries. The argument is, and the, the lesson from history is, that when you make it harder for people to do that, they have to choose. Is that fair? When you lose the ability to flit back and forth across borders, some people are going to say, all right, fine, I can't go back and forth. I'll settle down in Britain permanently. Yes, I think that the what our report looks at is different aspects of this. And one aspect is regarding the people who are already here who might, might have previously been flitters, as you might put it. Um, and that comes on to the EU settled status scheme and the offer that the UK is making to people already here to stay permanently, which has received a good deal of criticism, but for various reasons that we point out in our briefing, is actually quite a generous regime if you want to establish a permanent basis in the EU. Then also there is the aspects around people who are not yet here and the people who are coming in the future, well, they tend to come on a more permanent basis from it inside the EU. But also another aspect we touch on is that as part of changing the way the UK approaches EU immigration, it's also changing the way it approaches non-EU immigration. Non-EU immigrants have tended to come here on a more permanent basis in the past. And therefore, if we switch the mix slightly, tilting it towards non-EU, that may also add to the permanence of the people who come here because non-EU have tended to, in much greater numbers, apply for permanent residence and citizenship once they're here. The, the, the overall picture is, and we can come back over and over again to the conversation to the, the ironies of this, a big change in our political policy settlement that was in large part about immigration and the idea that people were concerned about immigration, we might actually in the long run end up with a larger immigrant population as a consequence of voting to leave the European Union. Is that fair summary? That's what's happened in other examples through, you know, history. There's obviously a lot of, you know, caveats and we're just pointing out some yep. potential consequences. I guess it makes sense in a sense because you may well put up a fence, proverbially, you know, some figuratively put up a fence, but if you don't change the drivers of migration if you don't alter the reasons that people have for wanting to come to the country, then people may well find a way of coming anyway. Yes, I think it's very easy to, and indeed migration researchers do this themselves, to pigeonhole people as being family migrants or students or labour migrants. Migration is quite a natural process which tends to flow through the easiest course. And indeed, in the EU freedom of movement, we've seen a lot of people come to this country as, in theory, lower skilled workers when they were actually very well qualified people who once they were here branched out and developed into maybe running their own businesses etc so people and this has been seen in the US as well labor migrants don't always come through the labor routes family migrants don't always come yeah. through the family route yeah the government's migration advisory committees looked at some aspects of this haven't haven't they they they've found some there's some puzzles in there in the data about where people end up later on in their journey as uh, as migrants in the UK aren't there 
Yes, I mean, I think on the international students is a particularly interesting area. Thinking on it as somewhat oscillated over recent years, I think it's very clear that most students who come here then then depart. There was a fear that lots of people were overstaying, but there's no doubt that there are some people here who look at coming here as a student as a very uh, attractive means of access to building a longer term life in the UK. And if you look at the settlement statistics of people who apply for settlement, you do see large numbers of people, maybe up to, I think it's 28% in, in 2016, who originally came as a student or a dependent. So to view students as somehow not migrants is, is, is you know, you're going to be missing quite a lot of the detail. And what the Mac pointed out is for some of the courses where you don't need to be in the UK for very long, particularly master's courses where you're only here for a year, the data seems to show that people doing master's courses from overseas are earning, going on to stay in the UK, earn a lot less than the native students, which you don't see at undergraduate level and you don't even see as much at postgraduate level. That suggests that some people are using master's courses and MBA courses to gain access to this country to do maybe jobs which are in theory at least underutilizing the skills that they've the academic skills that they've picked up. This is the in extremists it's rocket scientists driving taxis. Well rocket scientists yes right exactly but equally you know could be the other way around in terms of you know access to courses in the UK there's certainly rocket scientists driving taxis and we've seen that with EU freedom of movement I think there's some discussion around who exactly are are these master's students and are they being underutilised or are they actually using it as a lower skilled access point? And just to complicate the picture even further, there's a whole wider question in the UK labour market about whether or not we're actually underutilising the skills of our of graduates of all sorts. I mean, we we have a, I think the from memory, about 30% of UK graduates are in non-graduate jobs, about the highest figure in the OECD. We're we're really bad at matching matching the skills of the workforce to to the jobs we have. So uh, that's a sort of another factor in in that, that question about where migrant graduates and postgraduates are, are, are ending up. It's just the sort of economy that tends to mismatch their skills. Um, so it's pretty no wonder that the, the Migration Advisory Committee has struggled to come up with a definitive picture to explain all this stuff. So the next lesson uh, we draw, lesson number two, greater immigration restrictions applied to well-established existing immigration flows can lead to increased irregular migrant entry. Increased irregular migrant entry. This, this, is, this is where it gets interesting, isn't it? Increased irregular migrant entry in popular terms, newspapers, the media, what we mean is illegal immigration, don't we? Yes. Oh. And um, this was seen, obviously, in it, to a huge degree with the US-Mexico experience, which effectively, why that experience is so interesting is that they had an immigration regime which they changed over time through the 1940s, 1950s, 1960s, and then effectively they switched off that lawful stream and said these workers cannot come legally anymore. That had a number of you know impacts, but one perhaps a less surprising impact was that that stream didn't really switch off, it just switched into an, an irregular flow. The UK government are very, you know, are not unaware of this. And indeed, most of the technical debate around their proposals for the future system are around trying to ease the transition for, for UK business, who've obviously been very dependent on EU migrant labour, and allow them some transitional temporary routes. I, I think what our briefing points out is that looking again from the, the lessons of history, a lot of people have tried to pull off this trick of making temporary routes work for business and work for the public in, in terms of being enforced. Nobody's very successfully managed 
yeah. ever to do that. And it is a big change from a freedom of movement regime for the government to take on that task and that responsibility. I mean, yeah, this is the argument or the, the vision that's often promoted by some people in the, broadly speaking, the, the, the anti-immigration side of this conversation in, in, in the UK, Migration Watch, some of the others. That there's an idea put forward that what we really want to be able to do is bring in such young and industrious foreigners as we need to do the jobs that we don't really want to do ourselves. And then when, when they're finished working, send them away again, but keep everybody else out. I mean, that, that's the sort of the, the ideal that's described. No one's ever really managed that successfully, have they? No, I think there are a lot of difficulties and you're going to see them in, in this regime going forward. One is, so if we look at the temporary transitional route, there's a seasonal agricultural workers route, which is coming back onto the agenda. And also there is a potential expansion of the youth mobility scheme. All of those are, are finite schemes, allow certain people to come for certain periods of time to do certain things. The big problems with those schemes, whenever they've been tried elsewhere, is they've been very unpopular with the very people that have been meant to help, which is business, because business like continuity and like to know where they stand one of the key elements of the uk proposals effectively the cooling off period which basically is trying to stop permanent migration by saying if you come here for 12 months you then have to go away for 12 months before you come back that exact same requirement was tried in in germany in the 1960s and lasted for about two years before business lobbied it away as being impractical so the uk government is trying to help business here but there's going to be certain areas in certain areas some of these temporary routes will work in what i would call some of the more glamorous areas so people working in bars and restaurants might be quite happy to come as students youth mobility whatever but in the areas that people are really concerned around such as you know social care food processing horticulture those type of jobs people don't want to do Fruit, fruit picking, you know, you it's, slaughter, it's slaughterhouses, pig, boiling, boiling up pigs, yeah, boiling up pigs in in food plants in the in, in East Anglia. There's the stuff that nobody in the UK wants to do. Certainly a less glamorous job. Yeah. yeah. There's two well, things on, on this point, but yeah, temporary temporary migration routes. I mean, well, as an aside, because it's worth noting that yeah, that ideal I described that's put forward by people on the anti-immigration side of this debate, temporary temporary those temporary routes that cuts completely against the other thing that people on the anti-immigration side often say they want, which is more integration. You know, we know that if, you, if someone comes here without a permanent or the prospect of permanent settlement, they're not really they're, they're, they have much less incentive to integrate into UK societies. That's, that's, an, that's an aside. The, the thing I'm keen to come back to on this lesson is, is this point about illegal immigration. Now, one you know, simple nuts and bolts point. Illegal immigration, we have an idea, or when it it gets talked about in the media and in politics, people tend to talk about the border and they talk about men in uniform patrolling the border. And we had a big excitement at Christmas with the Home Secretary getting very aerated about people crossing the channel in boats. And the whole public conversation about legal immigration tends to be physical, illicit crossing of the border. But that's not what illegal immigration is, is it? Most illegal immigration is people who come here perfectly lawfully and legally on some scheme or another and at the end of the scheme they stay yes and i think that this is a particular uk kind of attribute in the in the sense we have one of the strongest borders in the world we're an island that helps so we're just not in the same position as President Trump is in on his southern border. And also we have an increasingly sophisticated border control regime. So it's certainly not that it's impenetrable, but it's not 
impenetrable in you know material numbers and indeed the whole furore around the channel kind of showed that but it was a relatively small number of people in boats the issue we have is that we firstly invite a lot of people into our country either as tourists or as students in order to sell things and services to them and other people can come here to visit family or going forward will become able to come here to do temporary jobs and therefore it really despite the fact that all of the polling shows that the UK of all the countries in Europe are most fixated on the border they probably should be the country that is least fixated on the border and the issue which i'm sure we'll come into in lesson number three is around how you deal with controls once people are here because we're not going to be able to control irregular migration certainly from the eu at the border because all those people are going to be allowed to initially at least still gain entry to this country yeah so yeah people will come in there's a yeah then bluntly they will then stay here even though they don't technically have permission to do so. And that's what qualifies them as irregular migrants, which, you know, I know you've, you've very nicely set up lesson number three. Uh, lesson number three, greater immigration restrictions applied to well-established existing immigration flows can lead to increased irregular migrant stay and therefore an increased irregular immigrant population. Again, a policy that comes from public desire to reduce immigration, to clamp down on immigration, to control immigration, you're saying is going to lead to a greater number of people being in this country from other countries without proper permission and authority. Yes. I mean, I think I think there's two aspects. One, one aspect, which maybe we can touch on a bit because we haven't touched on it too much yet, is the EU settled status scheme. Mm. Because that will itself create irregular migrants in terms of the people who don't properly go through that scheme. But really, the bigger... But that's that's basically people who have been here for plenty of very long time, living blameless, innocent, hardworking, happy lives, who, for whatever reason, just look at this edifice of home office bureaucracy. They probably hear some of the stories about their friends and neighbours and who've gone through this process of trying to provide years of bank statements and documentation proving they have been here and they qualify and just think, you know what? I'm not going to bother because are they really going to come and send a van load of you know, van load of blokes in suits to you to remove me? I'll just live here normally, won't I? I mean, there'll be a bit of that, won't there? Yes. So I think one of the one of the points we make in the briefing is that the conditions for the EU settlement scheme are, are actually far more generous mm. in some senses mm. than actually the permanent stay under EU freedom of movement, which will incentivize a group of more organised people to avail themselves of that. But at the same time, it's very clear that it's just not feasible or practical that everybody is going to engage with this scheme. Whereas EU freedom of movement gave everyone a kind of slightly opaque, neither here, neither there type of status, which left them relatively unbothered unless they did something wrong in this country. Um, What's going to happen with the EU settlement scheme is it will put you in one bucket or another, the OK bucket or the not OK bucket. Okay, and it was, that, it will, was, that will yeah, have consequences. Yeah, the old system was, it was very British in a way, wasn't it? it was sort of, no one ever well, quite, it was very no one British. Ever, no one ever quite clarified the situation. We just sort of muddled along and everyone was sort of... Yeah, everyone yes, knew, uh, it was very British as the British implemented it. Yes. So EU freedom <laughs> of movement was not so British if you were in Belgium or Germany and yes, had to locally yes. register, etc. 
as we implemented it, it was it was very British, which is if you're here and you're not doing anything wrong, we'll we'll leave you alone. Generally speaking, you know, if you're a rough sleeper or you commit a criminal offence, that, that's a different matter. But the other aspect of irregular stay, which I think is very important, is something we were really touching on, which is a combination of having a very or a relatively strong border, but then no mechanism inside the country for really identifying, tracking or addressing people who either shouldn't be here or or are doing things that they no longer should be doing here means that there is a huge incentive for those people to keep a very low profile because they know that if they are removed or indeed if they remove themselves their chances of getting back in are quite slim because one of the things the UK is doing is really beefing up its kind of re-entry approach as well. So in some senses, you could say that the tough exterior, softer interior, and I know that lower, lots of people will be saying, hang on, what about the hostile environment? How uh, can you yes. think that's soft actually in terms of identifying, tracking and addressing the people who should not be here? It, it is relatively hmm. soft. It's trying to make things sufficiently disagreeable that those people kind of deal with themselves that that whole system will in fact in some senses be a kind of magnet for irregular migration setting up almost the ideal circumstances in which it can grow essentially yeah we're we're about to force a significant hundreds of thousands of residents of the uk into that really stark binary choice do i go through the formal process of registration or do i just essentially go quiet in the hope that the british state doesn't have the wherewithal the the bureaucratic competence to find and remove me because removals are quite tricky aren't they they're very tricky Um, and they're they're, you know, they're relatively yeah, low in number for various reasons, which we could spend about three hours yes. talking about. So it would not be an irrational decision no, to make that choice. That brings us to our, our, our fourth lesson. I'll read out again in my announcer's voice. An increasingly visible irregular immigrant population accompanied by increased immigration enforcement can give rise to greater public concern over immigration, even if overall immigrant flows are reducing. This is the best irony of the lot, isn't it? It might well be that overall, the total number of people coming into the country does indeed fall, as the you know, some of the Brexiteers said it, yes, it should, but because of all the things we've talked about, because of the greater number of people being here illegally, because of some of the efforts required in response to that, people actually worry more about immigration, get more anxious about the subject. Is that yes. where we're going? They feel more anxious. Immigration problems look more visible. In this country, immigration has largely been invisible. Occasionally, something pops up like Windrush, but most things are kind of kept, you know, well well and truly below the bonnet. What we've seen in the US, for example, mm. in the last 20 years has really been this in spades. If you look at the figures, there has been a significant reduction until this year due to the yes. Central American influx, yeah, yeah, which is yeah. an interesting spike. But until this year, from 2000 until now, we've seen a huge reduction in people coming across that border, but it hasn't felt like that at all because the legacy of the US not being able to control these flows has led to people realising there's now a long-term irregular migrant population and significant long-term, what I would call lawful family migration, a combination of all that. People feel like things were out of control and we don't need to mention any names to know that some people have capitalised on that politically. And that's, uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll mention the name Donald Trump. I mean, that is the great, you know, irony seems to be almost a two-mile word, but the great sadness tragedy of the rise of Trump. You know, so much of 
Trump and Trumpism is built on this narrative of the wall, the border, that the US is exposed to bad hombres and threats from Mexico, when actually the US has been relatively successful in policing and controlling that border and has over several years reduced the number of people crossing that border, but at the same time anxiety about the issues around the border and immigration have increased. Without that, that anxiety, Trump wouldn't be president, would he? No, and and, uh, it's fair to say that the US have used a lot of tactics that we just have not used here. And I think one of the other aspects that comes out of this whole kind of public perception aspect is what are politicians in the UK and what are the public going to be willing to stomach? Because in terms of, as we were talking about, identifying, tracking and removing Mm. We don't really have registration schemes. We don't have ID card schemes. We don't have a coherent removal scheme. We don't really have a coherent identification scheme of people doing irregular yeah, once, once, stuff. Once you're here, you're here, and you're kind of left to your own devices, because yeah. that's, that's the British way. I mean, you mentioned identity cards. I mean, do you think, you know, without advocating it or, or otherwise, I mean, do you think that we will end up having a much more serious national political conversation about the introduction of ID cards or some similar scheme in the next few years? I think that's almost inevitable. Certainly, if we're correct about the rise in irregular migration, you've got various flavours of registration and ID card schemes. And indeed, on the other side, you've got issues around, for instance, amnesties and regularisations, which, again, other countries have had to deal with in Europe and the US. The UK has been immune, rather fortunately, from those. I think all of these things are going to fall into the mix it will probably be untenable to just tolerate what is happening. These people will have to be kind of legalized yeah. or they will need to be dealt with in a much more forceful, Ill- illegal kind of way. Yes. And, you know, to the, the politics of this, I mean, you could look at this stuff and take a very gloomy view and say, goodness, you know, history suggests that Brexit may well work out in such a way that Britain goes further down the Trump road, that we that we end up with a, another immigration backlash. People are upset about illegal immigration, they're upset about a, a rising settled, yeah, settled migrant population, and so we succumb further to Trumpism, I suppose. And you, we could talk at length about the different people active in British politics who might well be keen to pick up on those themes and, uh, and run with them. But uh, it doesn't have to go that way, does it? I mean, there is, we could have a slightly more positive political conversation, couldn't we? If I'm being naive here, if if politicians somewhere, somewhere in politics was going to come out and be a bit more honest about this stuff and say, look, we need to accept the fact that Brexit might not give you all the things that you dreamt it would on on immigration and let's have a serious, grown up, boring conversation about these subjects. I think that's the key message in some sense. Could we avoid a Trump future? Uh, I think think we could, but you need to have those conversations ahead of getting to, you know, the past that the US has got to. I think you could make the case and I would be... In, in a very small minority to make that case that, that the US in a sense is kind of having the debate that needs to be had mm. which is if you don't want the amount of immigration in your country you are going to have to do some pretty serious things to deal with it and on the other side at least the people who do are, are more pro-immigration in the US are making a much more I suppose, coherent case for more liberal immigration. I think the problem in this country is the people who want to control immigration don't really seem to accept what that means in practice. And the people who I would say are more liberal in immigration aren't really saying what they would do about the people who are not meant to be here. 
There's no real yes. discussion about how to deal with this potential for irregular migration. Everyone says what they don't like. They don't like removals. They don't like hostile environment. They don't like regularizations. But we're going to have to do something. There, there are potential options, but you really need to start talking about them now. And the public will have to become acclimatized. The public aren't going to go for any of these things at the drop of a hat, particularly when they've been told as part of Brexit that this is all under control and is going to reduce some honesty then let's talk about some difficult candid complicated stuff early before we get to the point where everyone gets cut head up and upset about stuff that they are surprised by good let's save the world through podcasts so this will be our contribution to that and obviously we'll come back to this more in future i think that sums up our very fine report uh, back to the future by jonathan thomas we will uh, leave it there thank you jonathan thank you and that's all from us this has been policy cast from the social market foundation with me james kirkup Thanks for listening. Until next time, bye-bye.